Is it time? Yeah, it's time. Welcome to the True Craft Podcast. I am your host, Chris Farman, and I'm joined by co-host, Katie Noel. This time around, we are all about one thing, killer conversations with close friends about the state of craft. Oh, it's going to be good. I hope to open the box on fresh topics while honoring the path that got us here. Let's do it. All right, so we're back. We're back to a new episode of the True Craft Podcast. And today our guest is a co-founder from Atlanta, Georgia, and the brewery name is Elsewhere Brewing, Sam Kasmer. Welcome, Sam. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, dude. So tell us how how has the summer been in Atlanta? It's been it's been super hot, crazy storms, um, kind of the typical summer uh, in the south. Um, Business has definitely been slower across the board this year, but um, we've been super busy with opening up a second location. So um, hot outside and then just hot in the business, like kind of working, working around the clock right now. So um, it's, it's exciting. How old is Elsewhere Brewing? How, how many years have you been in business? Um, this October will be three years. Three um, years. Yeah, we got we got our doors open finally in October of 2020. It was kind of a, a weird process. Um, it literally closed on our SBA loan and started construction on like March 10th of 2020. And then wow. everything started to fall apart after that. Yep. So good timing in some ways. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we would have been able to get a permit or even secure funding after uh things started getting weird with covid so oh yeah Don't definitely know. i i just i'm so close to the georgia beer scene because of where i'm located geographically and and you know there's been two waves in the georgia beer scene right it was the it was the people that started back in the early uh 2010 yeah. 2015 area where they couldn't even have a flip and tap room right 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 yeah we're definitely kind of in that second phase right now yeah yeah. Sure. So you guys, I would say you guys definitely opened in that second phase. And so I'm just always curious as to um, the the breweries that had to start with just the tastings and just the tours and really had to fight for something huge to get those, those tap rooms open. It was, it was when I would talk to customers that were on the West coast and be like, Georgia can't even have a tap room. They'd be like, what are you talking yeah. about? What do you mean? Yeah. What I mean, I was living out on the West coast back then. Um, I was stationed at Fort Lewis in Tacoma, Washington. And yeah, we'd come, I'm from Georgia. So we'd come home to visit my parents and it would be like, Oh, let's check out a brewery because that's what you do out West uh, in Washington state. And here it was like, you're using wooden coins to like pay for, pay for beers. It was just a very, uh, very weird scenario that, you know, breweries made it work. Um, Wait, what do you mean you're using wooden coins? What? Yeah. Like you, you do a tour and then they give you little tokens because you can't actually conduct a monetary transaction for alcohol per se. You're paying for a tour and then part of that tour is samples. So that's kind of how they got around. Not really got around. That's just kind of what the law forced, um, you know, business owners to do. Is that, is that still happening? No, Okay. I, I, I wouldn't have opened up in the state. Brewery? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there might be some floating around there, but not to pay for beer. Uh, I accept uh, 
all the major credit cards and cash. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. I gotta double check. Is like I'm from the yeah. West Coast. I'm like coins. People pay with co- yeah until coins until these? twenty really until twenty seventeen end of twenty seventeen is when that law changed. So it's a relatively new development. Um, but that's kind of why the the beer scene, in my opinion, is kind of interesting in Georgia from uh, just a development stage because you know most states by 2017 you know you're getting to the peak or past the peak in terms of like growth whereas in georgia we kind of just started um, right just late to the game yep and i would say the atlanta beer scene the atlanta athens beer scene is is one to be reckoned with there's there's a lot of really good players yeah in that in that area and and it's it's the um, rising tides brings up all ships idea you know you had a few of the early the monday nights the creature comforts the the guys that just showed up with amazing um business amazing beer yeah and it's just been a it's been a race to you know spin off some sort of business that they they've forged the way for so yeah uh, it's been interesting those two in particular are kind of interesting because it, it seems like they're both kind of um Going down somewhat different paths. Monday night's kind of interesting with all their multiple retail locations, um, but they still have a distribution presence. Whereas, you know, Creature, they just leaned into the distro. They own Georgia, you know, essentially. Right. Um, and then they they do have the second location. They're opening in L.A. But um, the ones that are that opened up back in the day, um, it's been interesting to see how the ones that have survived are pivoting and um, kind of shifting with the changes in the distribution retail markets um you know just to simply stay alive uh, or thrive you know it's been yep. pretty interesting to watch so today i want to get into more about risk and, and taking risks in the in the beer scene and the uh, owning a brewery and what what it all entails but mm-hmm. before we do that i want a, per, a personal history on you i just got i just read the email this morning from you that said you went to west point Yep. I um, went to graduated from West Point uh, 2011, grew up down here in Georgia. So I basically just right after I graduated high school, yeah, um, showed up there. I had no no real military history in my family. Um, I was the first one to go to West Point. And then my brother went to West Point, too. So we both ended up going there um, two years apart. So that's that's where it all started. And where did you go? What what were your obligations or what, what did you do after West Point? Um, so I became a second lieutenant. That's just, that's what happens. Um, if you're healthy enough, like if you can pass all your physicals. So yeah, I commissioned as a second lieutenant, um, as a infantry officer. Mm -hmm. Um, my plan was to become a helicopter pilot, but my depth perception got me, uh, disqualified. So I couldn't fly helicopters. And I was like, I guess I'll go jump out of airplanes instead. Um, and ended up my first duty station was, um, in Italy. So I lived in Vicenza, Italy for like two years as like a 23 year old. Um, it was pretty sick. Uh, but yeah, deployed once from uh, the 173rd out in Italy. And then um, after that, I ended up uh, getting a job with the 2nd Ranger Battalion out in Washington State, which is why I was out there and then did a couple more deployments with them um, and then <laughs> had this pretty insane injury during a training event um parachute collapsed and broke a bunch of bones and then that kind of is what uh shifted everything to to the brewery route um 
kind of over the course of that was back in 2015. So kind of over the course of that recovery, um, ended up homebrewing to, to, as I was starting to walk again and it was kind of like extra, I would, you know, make a sandwich one day and then slowly worked my way up to making like five gallon batches of beer. Um, nice. and then, yeah, by the time I had those first few batches done, I was able to drink beer again. And, uh, and then, yeah, like kind of had to, completely change the plan um and that's when sarah and i started to look at potentially getting into craft beer and what's your role at the brewery like what is your day what does your day-to-day look like yeah i am um i'm the ceo uh and then i also handle all the finance um side of things so i i guess i'm the cfo as well and then Mm -hmm. also the guy that um shows up with uh tools to fix stuff so uh if, if i can but yeah, I kind of, I fill gaps where they are present. Um, and then, you know, I'm heavily responsible for kind of the the growth and future business. I'd say um, I'm the one that jumps into the pool first and then checks things out. And Sarah is is more on the, on the ground of, she's with me in that, but she's also definitely way more responsible for kind of the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month operations. Yep. Um, and I just make sure that that can all fi- happen from a financial standpoint um, and uh, try to get the business to a more sustainable, uh, you know, healthy place. So, so you guys have a brew crew. You have, you don't do much of the brewing yourself anymore. No, we've got one guy, um, Josh Watterson. He's been with us from the very beginning. Um, back in 2018, we kind of, our first plan didn't work out with the partners we were and the plan just in general didn't work out. And we started working with Josh, found him on probrewer.com replied to our advertisement. Um, He's won a few gold medals at the great American beer festival was, and, and then is also just generally a mechanical mastermind. So yeah, we are, our interest in beer and craft and the industry in general really aligned. He started as a consultant for us and then, um, moved into the full-time role when we opened, which was kind of like our ideal scenario. And it, that ended up working out. Yep. I remember so many breweries that would commit to a brewer six months before they got open and the, and the yeah. brewer would be like paycheck, bro. It, it, that is, that is always a challenge is, uh, and you know, I'm going through that right now right. Uh, with opening a new place where just kind of uh, the cash demands are, are, large and just land you know uh for you know it's, oh i gotta write a $150,000 check today and it's like well that's usually what my bank account's sitting at and, and so it's like just kind of managing that cash flow um i've got we've got really great financing partners um a lot more flexible than last time which was more of an sba 7a loan um yep. you know for for new entrepreneurs great great vehicle for getting money um it's it's an easy way to get easier way to get debt in terms of uh you know just your ability to with with limited assets and stuff like that so the original raise was all friends and family plus the sba loan and um, this one has been a little more flexible with some private um, private money and um it's made the cash flow management a little bit easier yeah for sure definitely well so let's talk about that you're you're four days out from an opening of a new second location four three days three four Three to four. You're three to four days out from a, a, an <laughs> opening of a second location. 
And you wanted to talk about risk and reward and, and really calculated risk. And, and I, I love that topic because whenever us at Small Batch talk about risk, I, I think um, the the definition of risk or the definition of profit comes from risk, right? Or vice versa. The definition of risk is um, uh, something that you take and, and the potential is profit. The potential is also the flip side of profit. Failure. Yeah. Uh, so insolvency. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So talk to us a little bit about what your, what goes through your mind when you're assessing a, a project, a risk project, even, even talk us through the second location and, and what happened there. Definitely. Um, I mean that, that the second location has been kind of just an experience like I said, it took two years. So originally I, uh, we had, you know, it was during the pandemic, we had a lot of influx of capital from the government, uh, with really no strings attached business was actually relative to now really good. Like, like this year we've seen 15 to 20% reductions in just revenue across the board. Um, so, but back then we had, we had an influx of cash, the business was um, generating enough revenue to a point where we could find a path to profitability then. Um, and so really I saw all of this money in the savings account and was like, we should need to do something with this. And uh, to me, it was just opportunity cost every day. We didn't do something with it. Um, part, you know, part of it, I needed to retain just, you know, the rainy day fund because there was so much uncertainty back in 2021 um, and then 2022 as well. And so uh, for me, it was it was, you know, we have enough capital right now to start to explore some new opportunities. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty in the future. And so it and we were such a young business that it seemed like we needed to take some risks to make the business a little more durable if things got weird, which they did in 2023 mm-hmm. and the tail end of 2022. So um, like, like for us, it, it, it started to look in 2022. Uh, so anyways, I, I tried to finance the first project the same way we did the original one, kind of with an SBA loan, the bank's, it was my first experience uh, dealing with a bank when I had a business running and just, you know, it's not about projections anymore. It's about performance. Right. Uh, and I was like, this has been a weird year. This is to be expected. And, you know, bank, it just wasn't the right tool for financing the project. And we actually backed away from it at the tail end of 2021, the developer came back um, was, was essentially like we can, you know, put together some kind of, um, you know, note or something like that, that's flexible in the way that you can pay it back, reducing the risk kind of from a carrying debt perspective. Um, And then just the rate was fixed. It kind of just, it ended up more or less being an offer I couldn't refuse. I, and that's kind of the way I was trying to um, phrase it with, with uh, the developers was like, I would love to be here. I just, there's so much uncertainty and, and risk in this environment that you know, I need, I need to be able to retain as much of my capital as possible. Um, and so I'm not going to be able to put really much of any money into this project. And right. when they, they said yes to that, I mean, it, it it's kind of like, it was a no brainer for me. I was like, I, even if the second place takes a year or two to develop the way that we'll be servicing this debt is going to be so flexible, flexible based on net income, um, 
we're going to be able to spread the overhead out from the first location and and essentially just run super lean um and just you know taking that step it was really all about looking at you know what was the business at grant park the original location like what was it producing on a month-to-month basis if we were to see a 10 percent reduction in that revenue like what would that do to the company and it was really ugly and and so i was just like well we have to do something about this um and the the potential at grant park is there but the things that are are required to to see that potential fully play out um there's two huge things that have to happen and we need the belt line to be complete um if you're not familiar with the belt line it's just like a big walking biking path that goes around uh, the city of atlanta it's been a new project i'd say over the last 10 years or so but this we're right next to the belt line down on the southern side which is getting finished now for the last three years and it's probably going to be finished sometime in i'd say you know 2025 it's a big project but i can't control that um, and then the development itself is going through a huge redevelopment with um, with new developers. And it's all very good, but it's also still another year, year and a half out. And so when I signed my lease in 2019, I didn't project six years of like struggling to get by. I was expecting, you know, probably two to three years of, of scraping by, but then kind of a, assuming that we were providing value and, and a good product, it seemed like all the external circumstances should kind of allow us to get to the, the, the growth projections we were going for just based on population and, and foot traffic and, and competition in the area. But um, started to see that maybe not going to be the case. And then, you know, when you open your business, uh, you know, when we first opened our business back in October of 2020, it was, you know, you you start to see what reality is versus just the the performa, right. and and that's kind of where you start to see like how much money do you really need at the beginning of every month, um, it, and it just started to look like unless unless we really reduced costs in a way that required two different ways we either had to like fundamentally change the business model we were running to to be honest to a model i wasn't really sure what it would look like or we needed to um find a satellite location in an effort to spread out overhead and sell more of our um, highest margin product which is our beer so um, we just weren't getting the volume that we needed at the first location and the writing was on the wall um i knew i could string together some uh, some money to get us to the second opening. Um, but I just knew that it would have to happen within a certain amount of time. And so, so for me, it was, it was like, take the maximum amount of risk as possible. Um, the, yeah. the spidey sense that you just described is what makes or breaks entrepreneurs. It's what makes or breaks careers. It's it's a spidey sense that not every business owner has. I call it Chris math because I have the same spidey sense, right? I, I calculate things in black and white. It's elementary as F, dude. It's yeah. so elementary. And that's basically what you just laid out to the listeners. I did some elementary. Is this going to work? Is this not going to work? Black, white, no gray. Yeah. And yeah. you your math came, your Sam math came back as like, this ain't going to work. Yeah. I mean, I was just looking at, I was looking at just kind of where our labor cost percentage was. And I started doing this like in a real serious way 
um, I'd say like Q, probably Q2, Q3 of 2022. Um, Cause that's when the, that is definitely when the government money started to shut off. Uh, that's definitely when demand started to pull back a little bit from a consumer standpoint. And it was like, all right, well now it's time to like, we have to like really run this business now. And you, I'm looking at my labor percentage, you know, and I'm, I'm looking at where I can flex, you know, it's like, yep. I can stop paying myself. I can stop paying Sarah. Um, I can change the, you know, the kitchen model a bit. Um, I can find a way to reduce like a GM salary. Um, but you know, we were operating at what felt like min force almost. And, you know, or like, like we couldn't, I couldn't reduce the payroll much more, not yeah. enough to make it like within the range where I needed it to. And so like, for me, I was like, unless things, you know, get a lot better here and now I'm just rolling dice. Like we need to, we need to at least try to like make it better ourselves. And to me, the second, like it was distribution or it was the second location. And like, <laughs> I opened this business knowing distribution wasn't going to be an option for, yeah. for solving the kinds of problems that I needed to solve. And it was, you know, I, I don't have a ton of people. I don't have a ton of like excess capacity. So I'm, I, I don't have the ability to produce more myself. Um, contract brewing is just not going to give me the, the net income from the revenue that I need. And so I just needed to find a way to, to just have higher, you know, more high margin sales. Yeah. Um, and the second location was the, uh, really the only viable option that I saw at the time. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you just took us on a crazy journey. Honestly, you just took us from you're opening a second location in September of 2023 when most people really aren't opening a second location and backing us into that thought, that, that thinking and your thought process of what you've, what you've gone through, like my anxiety level just went down. I didn't have, yeah. I didn't have anxiety because I know you, but if I was a listener, I'd be like, eh, and then they're like, oh, everybody, everybody thought I was insane. Um, and like, they're, so. they're just like my, my landlords, um, uh, obviously the bank, um, some of my investors, but when I explained it like that, it made sense to them. Yeah. And, and if this you find somebody that, uh, agrees with you and can write the checks for you, then um, you've got a team and you can try to accomplish a project. Right. So OG location is in the South, South part of like Metro Atlanta, up and coming neighborhood, up and coming Beltline. You have a, what size barrel system? We have a 10 barrel system over there. So 10 barrel system tap room. You have a little bit of food as well. Yep. We've got a kitchen, uh, which is kitchen. Been a super fun time. Yeah. <laughs> For another show, uh, yeah. describe the second location that's opening this week. So the second location is um, it's no kitchen, but it's in a um, like a, a retail development. It's called West Side Paper, um, kind of like a shared courtyard with like five or six different food vendors right off the bat. We'll kind of be the, the beer and we'll have the liquor um, option. Um, there'll be a, a couple other places that. I think might sell some cocktails, but we're going to be kind of the primary alcohol for this little development. So in a, in a way it's like, it's a perfect situation for me. Like I need the food. Uh, I need the food to keep the people there. Um, and to kind of just pull people in more often, you know, during their pattern of life in a day. Um, 
there's more people eating food than there is, you know, drinking alcohol in any moment of the day. So um, having the food is kind of essential for that. But having done the, and I almost went down the food route over here. Um, and that was another, I'd say, Spidey Sense moment where uh, around the same time that we were going or I was realizing that the way we were running the kitchen at the first location was just not sustainable. We're trying to do too much. We're trying to get too sexy with the food. Mm -hmm. That was the moment when I was also, Sarah and I were also starting to build out the floor plan and stuff for the second spot. So there was a moment there where we were about to go down food lane. And I just remember being in a, in an unusual position with our current chef at the time, just feeling very vulnerable and, and as if, like, if, if this person didn't want to be a part of the company anymore, it would really tank us. And I was like, why would I just make that, you know, if I open up another food concept over here and I'm not really comfortable with the food concept at the first place, I'm doubling down on a bet that um, I just, I don't, I really don't feel confident about. And so for me, it was like, what do we believe in? What can we make work? And it's like, let's do the beer. There's other food there. Um, I'm trying to keep, try to keep the build out down the cost. I'm just trying to keep all those startup costs down as well. So, so for me, it was a, I don't want to operate with a kitchen if I don't have to, I didn't have to, I need to keep costs down um, so that when I'm servicing this debt, it's not going to break, break me. Um, and I need to keep the payroll down. Um, just to keep that payroll percentage where I need it. I, I you know, I, I can only add so much overhead on it for second place yeah. uh, to be where I need to be. So that's kind of why we didn't do the food there. Is the second location situated near uh, a lot of living or, or retail, um, excuse me, residential? Yeah, it's in West Midtown. So it's, it's one of the faster growing areas in Atlanta. You're getting a lot of high density residential, which is um, so a lot of building up. Um, you know, not a, not a ton of like, you know, single family homes, more like townhouses, condos, tons of apartments, that kind of stuff. So, um, it's rapidly growing and it's going to be high density. Are the food options around you fast casual or are they come sit and wait for a table, table service? A little bit of both. So, um, some of the, some of the spaces still need to be leased out, but they will be for kind of more like a uh like a cornerstone full service kind of restaurant and then there's you know there's going to be a pizza place there's a taco joint there's a fried chicken sandwich place which is more kind of the grab and go hang out in the courtyard grab a beer at elsewhere we've got like a window you can just come up to and we can hand you a beer there's like a liquor license open container at the whole development so um so yeah it definitely is conducive to uh like kind of shopping around for whatever you want to do um, from a food beverage standpoint on a particular afternoon or evening. Awesome. Yeah. Um, another, another really cool thing that I got going here at the second spot is, um, part of my experience at Grant Park, um, I call it like a field, I call, I, I, I use the, the movie field of dreams kind of as a, uh, as a comparison and the phrase or the, the line from the movie, if you build it, they will come. And so, so many people in craft beer, um, mostly because it was true for a very long time. You, if you build it, they will come. If you build it in the industrial um, park out in the middle of nowhere, but it's eight dollars a square foot for rent, um, it's like that's fine. People, 
will drive 20 minutes uh, into an like an office park and eventually find you and you know you'll 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 keep your overhead low and it's we're just like not in that scenario anymore in fact like even in like my grand park location it's like on paper this should be like heavily foot trafficked and it's not and it's because just having craft beer high quality craft beer is just simply not enough and it's not enough to get people out of their houses it's not novel enough it's not interesting enough to to stand on its own um and so definitely learned that the hard way at the first place um and I've got some things developing over there that after this project is done, I'm shifting focus back over there to to start to um, make some of these changes over there. But here we had the developer build a bunch of pickleball courts right behind our space. And it's in this big covered um, kind of like old garage area, but it's open air. Um, literally the back doors of our place open right up into these pickleball courts. Um, and so in my mind, I, I started seeing how pickleball was taken off, um, linked up with the Atlanta pickleball club, really developed a good relationship with them, kind of told them my idea, brought them into the conversation with the developer. Um, you know, so now we have people who can help market and manage this concept um, they will bring in the people it's already built into the pickleball community so all we had to do is was kind of like a field of dream scenario like like if we build the pickleball courts they will come you oh, know yeah. maybe not the beer but they'll come for the pickleball and i know they like drinking beer so right um and they like elsewhere beer too because i dropped off a bunch at the tennis course they play at so <laughs> amazing dude yeah so smart We'll I, yeah, I didn't realize you did. You, there was a pickleball court behind there. That, that is that is very smart. We have a client right now that has about 12,000 square feet of unused space and they want to sell the building. And I said, it's in a very cold environment. It's in a very cold state. And I said, turn it into indoor pickleball. Just do it. it. Yep. Yep. If they own the building, it's kind of like that's a no brainer. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So before we wrap it up, I, I want to learn more about this fungus obsession of yours. And it, you're you're a, a, an amateur mycologist. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's a hobby. Like uh, <laughs> I use the phrase because it sounds like super official. Yeah. I um I just like grow mushrooms as a hobby. Um, and so like psychedelic mushrooms or no, like oyster mushrooms, okay, like, okay. things like that. And and so I'm I'm bringing kind of. And this was just something I started doing during um, the pandemic. Uh, you, some people decided to make bread um, or start a garden. I did start a garden, but I also started getting into uh, mycology. And um, earlier this year, I kind of had uh, a breakthrough. And we have done a lot of stuff with mushrooms with the company over time, just because of my interest in them. Uh, so like our company would, you know, we got pretty, we have some friends in the, um, a couple of the mushroom clubs in Georgia and we linked up with, um, a couple, Sam and, uh, Sam Landis and his wife, Cornelia, they, we started doing these foraging events, uh, like a few times a year. And then we would start doing these like oyster mushroom, you know, bag grows where customers could come and do a class and, by the end, they'd have a bag and in a couple of weeks, it'd be growing oyster mushrooms. And so we, we kind of like we're already in that space um, out of just curiosity ourselves. And and so um, the brand was kind of like going in that direction in a way. And I was all about it. Um, 
mushrooms are fungus yeast is a fungus so it's like it kind of you can kind of tell a story there and um i was looking for ways to kind of just like reduce costs you know and <laughs> like we all are and you know in the in our beer we've we've made things so much more efficient um from the in the way that we hop the beers you know we utilize horizontal tanks to reduce the amount of hop like we do a lot of things to reduce our inputs but there's certain things like you know water and grain you're kind of stuck to and the largest waste that we have and really have no way to monetize it is is was our grain and i decided to um inject a jar of grain with um some oyster mushroom liquid culture which is essentially like a bunch of mushroom roots floating in liquid and you just squirt it into a bag of this grain that's been sterilized um at a high temperature and then you essentially create like a clean petri dish for this mycelium to grow and feed on all of the spent grain well you can take that spent grain after it's been fully kind of eaten up by the mushroom roots and you can make, you can break it up and mix it with dirt and, or wood, depending on what the mushroom likes to feed on. And you can literally start growing food. Um, oyster it's, it's becomes like a fertilizer. No, I mean, you can, it, it becomes like seed, like seed oh, that really? you can grow with. So kind of what I'm planning on doing is, um, I had a, a, a fellow mushroom friend who bought me a commercial sterilizer and um, essentially I'm going to start making grain spawn is what it's called. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to sell that to commercial mushroom farmers. And so I, and eventually kind of my future plan is like whenever we open up a manufacturing location immediately, what we'll do is we'll also open up a grain processing facility and a mushroom fruiting facility so that we kind of have in our waste stream, we've got three businesses going. We make the beer from the grain. We then can process the grain and sell grain spawn to other growers, or we can kind of retain it ourselves and move it into the mushroom farming room where we then can grow food um, and sell mushrooms to restaurants and farmers markets. Um, you know, if it gets big enough grocery stores, um, and then at the very end, you can take all of that waste product, uh, and you can process it into mushroom compost, which you then, you know, you could buy that at Home Depot. I mean, that's what I put in my garden sometimes. So essentially my goal is to take the grain that we, we use for beer, um, and turn it back into dirt at the very end of the process to then plant more grain. That's kind of the idea. So just kind of wow. this full circle, um, economy, um, that, reduces waste and you know as as reducing waste and recycling and 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 carbon capture and all this stuff starts to become more and more important over time um uh, i think you're going to start seeing you know subsidies and government um money for just simply doing stuff like this and then once i can measure the reduction in carbon by, you know, there's probably going to be some kind of carbon credit or something like that, that could exist. Yep. So there's, you know, um, it makes sense just strictly from uh, monetizing your waste stream perspective, but there's, I think just tons of future money out there for kind of ideas like this. Um, I think the government's going to want to pay people to do this kind of stuff, or at least to innovate along these um, 
some of these ideas. So that's kind of the the mushroom thing. Cool. It's one of the more unique sustainability practices I've heard, but it's really cool. I um so there's another brewery here in Atlanta, Wild Heaven. I used to work there as we were raising capital for our current location. And um one of the owners over there, Eric um Johnson, he I like I saw him doing this and he was growing mushrooms for his restaurant he had in there. So it was that was the first time when I was like, oh, you could you could like grow mushrooms on this stuff. Why is why aren't there more people doing that? It is like a not easy it's like a whole nother business but kind of for me at the beginning i'm trying to figure out what's the minimum viable product that i can create from this um that requires the least amount of resources for me um and so it's like you know me and maybe a couple um uh, employees i have that are looking for some more hours put them on an hourly to help me kind of do some of this and so it, it won't take a whole lot of resources from the company um i have all the capital equipment uh so it's just kind of dialing in the system, figuring out a process. I've already developed a potential market with a couple commercial growers here in Atlanta, one that sells mushrooms at the farmer's market right right outside of our brewery every Sunday. So, um, so yeah, I think kind of the tail end of this year will be um, working on that, getting that dialed in. Um, and uh, And then also in that same space, I'm going to be building a couple indoor pickleball courts, and that's all over at the Grant Park location. So uh, they're, the property development company is doing a huge redevelopment of that space, and they're looking for somebody to fill a vacant um, a vacant suite for two to three years or so. And so I kind of came forward with this this idea for how we could activate the space. Um, so for, for me, I'm using it to process grain and I'll also be uh, building some indoor pickleball courts to increase the foot traffic down at the, the development. So, yeah. Dude, you are all over the place. I love it. But but yeah. it's all over the place, but it's all it all has a mission. It all has it all ties back mm-hmm. to yep. this risk mitigation. And it's so well thought out. I mean, we got to talk more. I don't even talk to you that much. Jesus, this is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've always looked for, I guess, what we considered novel in our industry. So we've always looked for novel ways to um, increase revenue, reduce costs. Um, The Elsewhere Adventure Club, like earlier this year, we went down to Patagonia. We brought down 14 people to literally do a trip Sarah and I had done back before we got the brewery open. Um, And that's another component of the business that, um, you know, you mentioned personal goals uh, in your email and it's like, you know, we love to travel. That's what this business was found on. Um, a big reason why we wanted to tie travel to the business is because we knew that we weren't going to have a lot of like free time for our own personal endeavors. So, you know, time kind of our personal interests and goals to the, to the business is, has been a, a bit of a priority here at the beginning. Uh, it makes, it makes working on your business a little more enjoyable. And if something's more enjoyable, the probability of you uh, doing it will be higher. So it's, it just kind of, it reduces that friction to get up and get after it every day. Right. That's awesome, man. You, this is totally an inspiring call. I love, I love this episode. It's great. Um, cool. Tell the listeners where they can learn more about elsewhere, about what you're doing, the adventure club, all everything you're talking about. Yeah. Um, honestly, our website, elsewherebrewing.com. Uh, that's a great place to start. Uh, our Instagram, 
um, elsewhere Grant Park and then elsewhere Greenhouse, which is the West Midtown location. Uh, lots of indoor plants and like mushroom theme over there. So, um, you know, those both both have Instagrams. We have weekly live music, vinyl. We do a drag brunch once or twice a month, which is <laughs> one of our wildest events. Yeah. Um, and, and definitely is a party pretty much every month. So, um, yeah, website or Instagram is a great way to uh, check us out, see what our story is, see what we do uh, to entertain people and what kind of beers we make. Awesome, dude. This was this was really a pleasure speaking to you and getting to learn more about all this stuff you're doing. Uh, thank you very much for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Chris. Thanks. Nice Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the True Craft Podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you are just dying to know what Chris and I look like, you can head over to YouTube for a video recording of the show. Links to cool information about our guests and other fun facts can be found in the show notes. This podcast is sponsored by Small Batch Standard, the premier financial agency built to serve the craft brewing industry. We help craft breweries grow profits through outsourced accounting, tax compliance, and growth consulting. Visit sbstandard.com today to learn more and request a discovery call.